1: This is
2: Eat Sleep Work Repeat, a weekly series of podcasts about happiness and work culture. Hello, this is Bruce Daisley. I've had a mixed week. I've been on jury service, which is utterly harrowing and makes me want to tear down the penal system. I also gave the most one out of ten speech ever, uh, an evening standard thing on Wednesday night, a total car crash. I tried to land something that I thought would make people smile, ended up with a dry mouth and my teeth stick into my gums. Happens to all of us, I'm sure. Legged it out of there, got the tube home. So I was reading a research paper the other day. Someone asked me what I did on my journey somewhere and I showed them the thing I'd been reading. They were pretty disgusted at the joyless life I lead. The paper was about how the demands of work have changed, specifically in the banking industry. So it was from an ex-banker. The whole of the banking industry has been based on this idea that people will enter and work 120, 130 hours a week. sort of effectively working all but seven or six hours a day. And over the last few years, something's changed. Uh, Goldman Sachs have had to ask people to take Saturdays off. Merrill Lynch, Bank of America, has asked people to, to not work uh, some of the day on Saturday. Why? Because people have started collapsing. And not to make too light of it, but it's, it's so extreme, one intern even died. So what's changed? Well, Effectively, when you work all but seven hours a day, it's intense, it's draining. It has a measurable physical impact on the people there that's quite stark in the paper. But the one thing that's changed in the last few years is when you add our phones to that, the the burden, the weight is just too much. It's it's one thing to work all but seven hours in a 24 hour period. But when your phone is buzzing with messages all night, the people involved just snap. Our phones have changed things and by extrapolation, not just for bankers, for all of us. To respond to that then, myself and Sue tard created the New Work Manifesto about 12 months ago. Sue's my co-creator on it, and it was an attempt to start the debate about the, the things we can change about work. You can find it on the podcast website, Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat, or it's got its own website you can search for. It's had a remarkable response. Research companies have asked to validate it. Different professions like doctors, like the police have been in touch, asking if they can adapt it for their working. Lots of companies have told me that they've been trying it out with big teams, small teams, uh, lots of different things. And so we're going to look at one of those today. So one person contacted me and and offered to share the experience and learnings in his big company. It was in Lloyd's Banking Group and it was Tom Kagode. Tom invited me down he said they'd been trying the New Work Manifesto in their team. He'd shared it in the company and he's hive intranet and he said look come down and and see how we got on tom's a innovations program manager at lloyd's banking group and he's helped really sort of share it and challenge those things and he's he's simultaneously an absolutely legendary guy you're going to hear discussions of various parts of the manifesto and the way that people are lloyd's are making it work they're sort of they're adapting it to their working lives. So around the table, you're going to hear various voices. I won't call them out specifically, but they're Lloyd's employees, Sam, Kate, Miranda, Veritza, Ben, Jess, Heather, Shirley, Alistair, Dave, and of course, Tom himself. The manifesto is eight points. One of them is take back your lunch. And we talk about that to start. It becomes a discussion about the power of re-energising ourselves with breaks or exercise. We move on to discuss one of the other things, presume permission. Our ability to feel like we've got the autonomy and right to edit our working style. The first voice you're going to hear is Tom. He starts off by mentioning something that might be familiar. That we often think of ideas when we stop being focused on the challenge of what they're for.
3: So I guess probably the biggest change that I've made um, from sort of looking at the the manifesto was around the take back your lunch, because I just think it's such an easy thing to do. And we're in a really great place in London, right? So, you know, like a 25-minute walk around the Barbican Centre. I love brutal architecture, so that's, like, fantastic to be around here. But it just really clears your mind. Um, And I found that I'll go off, I'll have a wander around there, kind of let my mind just sort sort of free up from the stuff that I'm doing, and actually often come up with ideas to solutions that I might be working on in the morning just by not being in that same environment so that's been the biggest change it doesn't always work for me every single day I tr- actually try and do it on my busier days when I've actually got more work on because I think I need that time to step away and clear my mind but other times I'll, I'll probably you know just stay in the building but still try to step away from the desk but that's been the biggest change for me I think a couple of things but
0: what I'm going to describe actually didn't come from the manifesto because I'm quite new to it so it's kind of accidental and experimental but it does chime with, with what we're talking about exercising so getting out and going for a run i found in the past has been a really great way of um solving a problem and i think actually you might know that there's been some evidence from mit and kind of harvard where, uh, where they were looking at um, the effect of low-level exercise on cognitive decisions yeah. the idea being we come from a hunter gatherer background so if you're doing low-level activities you're thinking better so go for a run um I, I i find i'm no great athlete i like to sleep as much as i can but you just get into it's almost like a meditative state i guess and i'm no expert on meditation but it feels that way and you you don't focus on the problem, but you find often at the end of your run, you've you've got some possible solutions. So they were just accidental things that I've done, but they're probably similar to what's in
3: your manifesto. And I guess that running is probably going to help in the fact that it will help you to sleep better then as well. So then you're going to be more rested when you do come back into the office, isn't it?
4: I'd echo that in terms of not running, but doing yoga and more Tai Chi. So I've always felt silly doing that kind of thing, in work, <laughs> even at, you know, it's at lunch, like, even in the lunch hour or. Even sort of sometimes after work, it's something I do in my leisure time, definitely thinking about it more and more, but actually I can take 10 minutes just to breathe, or to do an arm or whatever it is, just to kind of calm myself down and kind of move on with the day. The other thing was to the, the take back your lunch. So it, it's, you know, like you, you get lunch or you can come back to your desk, which actually isn't, um, it's a common thing, but actually going away from your desk and going out, whatever, makes a whole lot of difference. So that was the big thing for me. And the uh, presume permission, <laughs> because, you know, you're constantly, OK, I've got to every single minute of the day, I've got to account for every single minute of the day. <laughs> and actually, that doesn't really work. And if you know you've come in early, for example, and you might want to leave early, you, you feel guilty <laughs> of leaving, even if saying leaving early, actually, you've made your time. And it's just push and pull. Sometimes you start early and finish late. Sometimes you start early, and finish early. It's about the work, really. My friends just um, moved to Stuttgart and she said that there's no banter in the day at work it's literally head down all the banter is done at break time that's it but but no one stays late <laughs> and she's having a real a real hard time with that kind of not being able to just get up from your desk and say hi and whatever it's just not the done thing in her office <laughs> so she's battling with it she, she likes the productivity because you know it, it's it's cool that she you know the germans are kind of known for being that they're not they don't do late but it's it's really eating away from her just that normal thing of oh how are you and how's your mom or how's you <laughs> so she's she's genuinely is struggling with it so um, so I think what you're doing
2: is is really important. That's a really brilliant point about chat or banter as it's described there. How important is chatting and taking breaks to us? One of the things that Professor Sandy Pentland says is that up to 40% of the productivity at work starts with chat. And often it can be the silly chat the coffee machine about last night's TV that leads into something more work-based. So not only can chat feel like it breaks the day up, but also the way we f- it's the way we feel closer to colleagues and we collaborate more with them. It's often the thing we miss when we're working remotely. I think if you've
5: worked a number of days at home in a row, the thing that you miss is that interaction with your colleagues. And it's one of the reasons for you to want to come back into the office also, because it tends to be more productive for me. But it's also to see colleagues who also tend to be your friends and to have that bit of chat in between doing your pieces of work as well.
1: Something I was going to touch on, and I took it from um, one of your, I think it was the hacking the the job um podcast and, and somebody in there talked about working in bursts mm. so my role i'm completely home-based there's no i don't have a, a, an office that i go to but what i do have is a network of branches and, and offices around me so what i found sort of helps with my productivity is is now working sort of set uh bursts. so i might do a little bit at home in the morning and then get that out of the way then i'll go into a, to a branch and sort of surround myself with the people and whilst they're not directly in my team so my nearest colleague within my team is 150 miles away i'm sort of taking in different bits from different people and different sort of different energies if you like and different things from different teams and and sort of get trying to implement that into what i do um so that's worked really well for me actually yeah working in bursts and sort of yeah that one's done right now what let's go and change the environment change the scenery speak to different people and then crack on with something else
2: Here's one I didn't cover in a podcast, but there's lots of science for walking meetings. Fantastic for divergent, for creative thought, but not very good for convergent or analytical thought.
6: I was going to say, I guess one of the things I've found um, in the past, especially with my last team last year, a trial to kind of walking one-to-ones. And I think it's something about a change in environment. So not just going out for lunch, but sometimes going out at other points in the day as well. And just, you might just go and sit somewhere, you might just wander around where we literally would just wander around the block and would try to not use the same route every time but definitely I just found something in that in terms of the creativity stuff that you were talking about and soundboarding ideas I think you just come back with something you just build on each other's ideas and I just found having a different environment going out maybe it's the physical exercise as well just being out somewhere different um, just found you probably just got different ideas and thoughts than if you just sat you know, in the office at a desk or just huddled to one side of the office um, just feels a bit different. Um, I think sometimes you don't have to be out walking. Sometimes, you know, it might be a breakfast or a lunch meeting or something as well, but it's just something about going out and spending a bit of time in a completely different environment just seems to bring more creativity is what I find anyway.
2: It's not all success. Here's Tom confessing something that wasn't a hit. I will share
0: something I tried once that didn't work, which was I... I took uh, four or five graduates across to the science museum. So the idea was, we're in a stimulating environment, we should get some good conversations going, and it fell completely. And I just think it's, be- I th- well, and I, and I can only, you know, try to rationalize it. it, was, I think they just didn't understand some of the basic science. So, you know, uh, a colleague that went with me, someone to me did, and we were like, this is great, how do you think this machine works? And they just did not understand the basics. and So unfortunately it ruins the, the kind of experiment. But I, I think it's the right approach. So a change of environment can have a significant impact on how you feel and what you think and basically how, how you get on in life.
2: Well done, Tom. Better out than in. Here's a good one. I'm always going on about turning off your notifications. Half of the people who do it are still doing it two years later.
7: Um, I wanted to talk about the notifications, which has been like my hallelujah moment of this year. Um, so last year, I, I don't know where I got the idea from, but I turned the blue pop up notification off on Outlook. Um, but my security was still the little yellow envelope that you have. And I thought, at least I won't get a pop-up, but I'll still know if there's an email. Left it like that. I don't think it made any difference to my email behavior. And emails, for me, probably like everyone, are like a physical weight on my shoulders. And then I had a six-month sabbatical, came back in January this year. And I thought, right, work-life balance is a priority. Um, new Work Manifesto came out within like two weeks of me being back. And I was like, brilliant, start as you mean to go on. And I thought about notifications again. I was like, oh, I'm going to turn the yellow envelope off. And I did oh this feels quite amazing and then I realised my blackberries still sat there flashing red and I found myself keeping turning it over so I thought well the red light's really aggressive so I changed it to a blue light I thought that's nice and calming but it's still flashing kept turning it over and so I changed it to a green light and I thought, why don't I just turn the light off? So I've now turned all my notifications off my emails, turned my notifications off my BlackBerry, BlackBerry apart from on a text. So I get a nice green light if there's a text. And on my email signature, I say, please call or text if, you, if it's urgent so people know. So at least if, it, if I get a text and that's what I say to the team. And it's made a huge difference in terms of deep work, as you said earlier, because I'll be lost in a document drafting something or writing a PowerPoint pack. And I suddenly realised, I have no idea, do I have an email? And I'll check, i 20 emails. But I didn't know, so I got the work done. So huge advocate of that. And uh, lunch break I'd like to work on, but I'm not there yet. I, f- I, feel, s- I feel more productive and slightly less stressed. Um, there's still a huge volume of stuff to do. But I, I think in terms of getting good quality work done... Uh, Because you feel you spread yourself so thinly when you're trying to do multiple things at a time. Whereas now I feel I can do a really good quality job on something. Whereas before, you know, I'd be distracted and go, answer that email because it's from so and so, uh, which isn't helpful. So, yeah, probably happiness hopefully will come.
2: (laughs) There's a point in the manifesto about having a digital Sabbath, having a break from Internet and email, being able to switch off. Tom explains that he did. You may have discovered this when he was having an exotic holiday. I don't think he mentions it. And by the way, when he's using the description, good is the email system that Lloyd's used to stay connected to BlackBerry emails on their phone.
3: I'd kind of moved away from using BlackBerry. I was on a holiday, I was on a holiday in Kenya, and I was, at, I was checking my good emails, and I thought, what are you doing? You're like, you're in the middle of Africa, and you're worrying about what's going on back in the office. Um, so I I I did delete good. And I deleted all the work apps off my mobile phone, my personal phone, and um and went back to using a BlackBerry again. Cuz what I could, I knew I could do with that BlackBerry is literally switch it off, chuck it in a locker and not touch it again because the temptation can be too much and you're always thinking, "Oh, if I can, then I will." Um, so that was the the solution I had to go down and it you know, I think it's that first step of actually pressing the delete button. And once you've done that, I, I don't think you'll look back. It's interesting. I think there's a light at the
0: end of the tunnel. So just a short history. I've been using BlackBerry for 20 years. I was actually one of the first people in the UK to have a BlackBerry and introduce them. <laughs> I am. I am actually. Yeah. So I, yeah, some stories there. So I, I, I for previous companies signed the first contract in the UK to introduce BlackBerry. And interestingly, initially it was a fantastic help and it reduced stress because the idea was you could use short periods of downtime, like walking between a building to do something great. So went forward 20 years, um, What happened about four or five years ago was actually I lost my BlackBerry on the train. And for a short period, I realized, well, actually, it's not so devastating. I don't need to keep, you know, checking emails and checking emails. I then moved to Good. In fact, I introduced Good to to Lloyd's Banking Group. I don't use it anymore. There's a real benefit about good. I find it's rubbish, particularly on Android, and it puts me off so much, it's helped me to stop using it. But the main point is, I think you learn, you you get to a condition where you just think, I don't need to do it. I don't need to keep checking, and I don't, and I absolutely feel less stressful because of that. So the technology can help us, um, but what's important, I think, is how we approach it and what we get from it. Um, and I can see that you're all at different stages of moving through this journey of stopping the notifications, next it'll be stopping to look, and that's a really good place to get into, and don't do weekends.
8: I think I've got a little bit of a different perspective, because I find having the access um, stresses me out less, so I will look at good when I'm on holiday, and I find that it means I can just delete all the crap out of my inbox, so when I get back, I haven't got 500 emails, I've just got 100 emails left that I need to deal with and I actually find that um less stressful than um not really knowing what's what's gone on you know I would say probably not to everyone in the team but to certain people <laughs> if you need to ask me something then fine I'll but I will respond when I'm a, you know when I'm able to do so on my terms so that isn't something that yeah
4: so I don't I'm the same I don't actually mind working on the not working but answering and text because actually I have to admit the phone's an integral part of my life whether it's work or whether it's it's pleasure so I don't and I, I don't have the good or whatever I don't do that anymore because I have enough in my own <laughs> personal life sort of going on sort of thing in terms of my phone and my other things but um but yeah I was just thinking about is there a, a question to ask about people looking busy <laughs> but not necessarily really busy or the phone the fact that the phone's ringing, or the fact that there's, there's there's a message that you feel like you're doing something, but actually, really, are you really being productive? Like you're saying, once you lose it, you actually don't miss it. You're like, okay, well, you know, I could do without it. So I'm just saying, we've kind of created this thing about having to be on your phone, having to answer the BlackBerry, having to whatever, when actually we didn't it didn't exist beforehand, and we were still
2: working. So hang on, hang on, hang on. This is one of the biggest things in modern work: performative. Busyness, looking busy. There's always been something performative about work. And I always say to people who doubt that, I say, Did your mum have a phone voice? Because, you know, there was a reason why we used to present ourselves as a slightly more refined, posher version of ourselves. And it occasionally permeated the home phone. There's one of the challenges though. People feel they don't look like they're present if they don't answer emails quickly. And there's research that actually extends that, that says we judge our bosses by the speed that they reply to our own emails. So is that the experience of the Lloyds team?
1: Something I've done, which, again, slightly different working environment, and whilst I haven't removed notifications from BlackBerry, Good, and emails and all that, I've sort of tried to start using automatic replies and out-of-offices to manage expectations, and it it sort of releases that burden of having to reply to an email. So um, a lot of the time now, days like today, I'll put an out-of-office on, you know, I'll come back to you by Thursday. If it's urgent, give me a call. And it's surprising how little calls you actually get. You, you may get the odd one and then that sort of pressure of having to go back to all of the emails is, is kind of dealt with with one phone call um, and dealing with the end customer again a lot of the time something which might be urgent to them at the time it's not actually urgent and and you can manage that expectation in a much better way and it takes that that pressure away of i need to get back to them by five o'clock or six thirty at night you, you don't because they'll if it was urgent they would have called you yeah. or they'd send it again
5: I think, I think I really agree with what you said about presence. I think that's the big thing with email. If you're not replying, you're not present, especially when you work in an environment that's kind of 24-7 always on, you know, like production support or something. If you're not seen to be replying, then the question is, are you there? And that's obviously a cultural thing. I think, you know, you t- I heard one of your podcasts, you talk about, you know, fear. And obviously you talked about it earlier as well. And I think it's a really big thing where if you're scared that you're not replying to an email, therefore you're not being seen as present, you're going to keep doing that. And then you start getting more anxious about it and it drives more negative behavior. And I think it's really important. So I, I, I have good because I don't like carrying a BlackBerry, but if I go on holiday, you know, on that Friday I go off, I'll, I'll uninstall it. Like you said, I think that's really important at the weekend. You know, I turn persistent mode off. So there's no icons or anything. So I don't think about it. I'm outlook at work you know, I've got all, all notifications off, but I find that then you do drive some bad habits where you think, well, I'm not getting any notifications, so I need to keep an eye on it. So you'll be in the middle of a presentation and you think, oh, just check Outlook, and then you've got, you know, a couple of not particularly important emails, but then you want to reply to them. And then that kind of, you know, can set off like an OCS, like office communicator chat. And then you've come to the end of the day, you look at your half-finished presentation and you think, oh, if only I'd not yes. replied to those emails. It's, yeah, it could be a bit of a nightmare. I, I think probably... It's, it's all around your personal values, isn't it? If your personal value is, if I see an email, I reply to it straight away, you expect your boss to have a similar yeah. value. Um, but I think by not replying to emails, so I work with, you know, one of my bosses is super busy, never replies to emails, but it's good because it encourages you to get up and talk. Yeah. And I think that's the thing about, you know, email and, and sort of not looking at notifications. People need to talk more.
7: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, just a couple of thoughts on that point about your boss. So um, my boss responds to emails like that? And she worries, I think, if you don't respond to an email like that. Um, I can't. I wish I could credit the person who showed me this probably about 10 years ago um, in Lloyd's. And all emails, if I need anyone to do anything, I'll say for action by blah, 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 if it's urgent or just for action or just for information or for review and try and specify in the subjects. Um and I think that can make a bit of a difference. And I think, you know, as a broader team, it would be good if more people did that. Um, we just had a chat to somebody in our team about turning off notifications. She said, But what do you do if the email's urgent? I said, Well, the thing is, you're just fueling this um, culture around emails being used as an immediate mm. means of communication, which they should never be. And with the volume of email that exists these days, it just shouldn't be. People should pick up the phone or do an OCS. And I think that's the thing. The more you respond to uh, emails that aren't marked as urgent, somebody sent me one last Wednesday. Just had some generic title, and at four, it was about eleven o'clock. And at four o'clock that afternoon, I had a chase and a phone call and a voice message saying, "Sorry, can you respond to my email?" And I went, "Look, I hadn't seen the email." I looked back at it, and it said, "Oh, can you just come back to me by the end of today?" At the bottom of the email, and I thought that's terrible behaviour. And so I actually fed back very constructively and said, "Please, you know, give me a bell if it's urgent. I just can't respond that quickly." And I think you know, the more you respond quickly the more people think it's okay to, to ask for immediate information yeah. via email and it's just not a good way to do it. Yeah
0: sorry sorry about that email <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't you.
9: Wasn't you?
1: <laughs>
0: so I it's just fascinating I, and I didn't realise that some people were almost afraid that they don't appear present if they're not answering email. So there's sort of two things I want to say. One is to me there's a very clear hierarchy of latency in the different communication channels we have. If it's urgent it's a phone call or you go and talk to someone. Next think some, everyone agrees with that. Well, not not necessarily, because to your point, not one size doesn't fit all. So I I was just explaining in my mind, there's this very clear hierarchy. Phone is urgent or face-to-face is urgent. Then it's your communicator, ACS, instant message. Then it's email, you know, because you expect, it's like writing a letter, right? You don't expect the immediate reply because things got to get there. So that, that can help us. But clearly not everyone has a similar picture. Uh I've probably forgotten what the other point was. Oh, um don't be afraid to not answer emails. So I I used to come back in my previous role from say two weeks holiday and would have five hundred emails. And on several occasions my tactics were I'm not gonna answer them all. I'm gonna wait and see what happens. Not once did I have one
2: of those deleters.
0: I would delete. I would delete. And not once did anyone come back saying you haven't answered something. (laughs) So that shows that people are sending unnecessary emails. Yeah. Yeah. So you know you've got to get get the balance right about not being afraid
3: that you're not being present. It's not a mechanism to measure presence by. I was just going to talk about a, a slightly different topic. So I was going to talk about fun, and um, uh, yeah, so I thought, yeah, let try to finish on something really so so fun. I think um, so important, and and in our team and the building of a team. Um, so in, in in the innovation labs, we, we've we've actually carved out every two weeks some time for some team fun. Um, and it sounds really forced, but actually, um, we call it Team Fun Times. Um, we've got a, a dedicated Minister of Fun who um, who looks at like the kind of fun things that we can do as a group. So on, on a Friday morning, eleven every other week, um, you know, it might be that one week we're playing Cards Against Humanity. Um, it what, could be, o'clock in the morning? yeah, yeah. So it's quite an interesting, interesting one. Uh, there's another one called Exploding Kittens. Um, other times you know we've had we've had rides on segways around the office that's been quite interesting um but i think yeah just just having that time to like to get together to bond as a team and do something completely unwork related um is really important in terms of that building getting to know each other building relationships and another um thing which which we've done um we all took off some some holiday a couple of days either side of a weekend and we went on a skiing trip together so that's like quite a not many teams would do something like that um, I wasn't the best at skiing if I'm completely honest um, but it was still really great to get away with everybody and you know completely unrelated to work but as a group and there was like sort of 30 of us that went away and you really get to know people and you start to build that that relationship that isn't purely focused on work you're working with your friends your team are your friends um, and actually it just makes it so that you know, you're much more connected, and a much more bonded team, and work a lot better together, and understand each other better. So, I think it's just it's really important, and can be so easily overlooked as well.
2: Is holidaying together or doing fun things together. The space that the pub used to fill.
3: So, so we also run a sort of a, a pulse engagement survey just every week, just a couple of questions: How are you feeling? Um, and last year, after the um, the the trip, which so this is the second time it's happened, was this year it grew in size. But last year, after that that um, that trip engagement within the team um, and how happy you felt in the team and how happy you felt to work within the team went through the roof after that after that holiday together so it definitely shows like the data is showing that it's having an impact more holidays (laughs) together
5: i think we've still very much got that culture where in the office there shouldn't be any fun and if you're seen to be laughing it's kind of everyone's looking at you like "What, what what's going on over there but i think what was really interesting at christmas there was a team that put some decorations up and you could just so i sat by them And you could just feel the whole culture and the vibe of things changing for that, you know, three or four weeks when they had that up. And people actually were having fun. And because there was sort of, you know, a reason behind it, it was kind of allowed. But we very much are pub-based fun. So no fun in the office, but outside everyone, well, not everyone, but definitely the numbers are growing um, in in the pub-based fun area. (laughs) And uh, there's there's a lot of networking And I think some people feel that they have to come, and this is the problem that you have to address, you know. People feel they have to be there to join in the groups and things.
2: But how does the pub work with people who have families?
9: I think it's a difficult thing, and uh, I am wholeheartedly in favour of pub-based fun. Um, But it was a challenging thing, particularly I was a single parent for years and years, and it was me and only me that was going to go and have to get there at the, you know, allocated time that you get charged, £1 a minute if you're late for, um, in terms of pick-up. And I, I felt a really abrupt um, severing from a lot of the communities that I was a part of at the time, um, just because I couldn't, I couldn't go out. So it was like you were there for the next morning where you got that you, you were aware of the afterglow of a great night out and of people feeling bonded and all the rest of it. But it is quite excluding um, when you can't be a part of it. Um, and we, so we had a social committee where we sort of, social committee, it sounds so deadly doesn't it but it was I thought a really good idea because actually what we did was work out well what are the kinds of patterns that we could think about um that vary so that you know I mean and like you guys do lots of different like you were describing lots of different um activities some in the office some and we we thought about breakfasts and lunches and but different kinds of ways of baking it in um to different patterns um so that it's not always after work because i think it is it's a tricky one um and i think by doing something almost democratically so you kind of get a representative base of people um I wouldn't have thought of that stuff before I was a single parent. It just would not have crossed my mind.
7: We've we've At almost bought drinking. we've almost bought the pub into the office in Chiswell Street here in London, and one of our other
9: sites in Edinburgh. And
7: we have something called we had something called month end drinks and looking whether to include it or not. So downstairs in the area we've just been in, uh, once a month there are free drinks for the whole team, and you would see a lot of people down there. Um, some socialising, some networking, very relaxed, very fun. But it's after work, so it doesn't answer your point. Um, But one other thing I was going to say is when I came across this building for my interview, I've spent 10 years in the more corporate part of the bank, came into what was digital. And there was a huge inflatable fake surfboard. Downstairs in the canteen with fake palm trees, and it was the celebration of reaching some big kind of business milestone. And I was just like, What on earth is this? Um, and this building in particular is one of the digital hubs as it was before transformation came together, has been really brilliant at doing that. We've had sports days, there's all sorts of random stuff happening downstairs. So fun is a huge part of work here. Um, the team I work in, our director, is a huge advocate of fun and very, very fun in herself. Um, and so our team does have a lot of banter in the office and a lot of laughter. I think it would just not work at all if we didn't so definitely really important for us and I think some parts of the business do it better than others
6: yeah I agree I was going to say about the bit I'm all for the pub fun as well but there's definitely a you you made me think of something when you were talking actually um, in terms of almost uh, when you go to the pub it's always probably with your immediate team nearly every time you probably go there so it's actually there are things that I've seen in other teams but they're very they're sort of a bit more rare to see but where you have we had like a decorate your desk competition for Christmas for example and one of the team's literally turned their whole bank of desks into this giant gingerbread house it was amazing the most amazing structure I've ever seen things were hanging off it was a full structure hanging up it looked like a house you could enter it to have windows it was it was amazing but it just then encouraged people to move around and you sort of go and talk to teams who you don't normally interact with so I guess there's the bit around how do you get some of that social element but more across the you know I'm very aware that um, I think the teams that I've been and the team I'm just joined now, and the team I was in last year were very, very social. But even those very social teams, I probably, you know, still half the floor I probably never even spoke to. So I think it's probably a bit in there for me around how do we get better at doing more of that, that, that te- whether it's team fun times or that that pub culture. How do you bring that in a bit more into the office, but so it spreads broader than just your team? That collaborating across, you know, barriers and all of that, sort of breaking down silos, etc.
8: I had a really nice moment last week with Tom (laughs) I was I was I was feeling a bit stressed and I had to um, get something done it got to about seven o'clock and I asked Tom if he would give me a hand just chatting through it and he said would it help if I bought a bottle of wine and I said yes it would (laughs) Um, and we sat there and it was there was Tom and I and then there were just two other people from the team left in the office. So we said to them, would you like a glass of wine? So we all sat there, working on a bit, having a glass of wine. And then we spotted a lone soul in the finance team. <laughs> and we said, would you like a glass of wine? And she, like, I've never seen someone look happier. <laughs> and it was just like a really nice moment. And then actually everyone that was left were like, should we just take this to the pub now? And ended up having quite a nice random unplanned night out that kind of
2: get done,
8: but. i mean and i was really stressed and actually it was just like a, it just felt like a really good good, good little moment
3: and i think to, to build on that actually um by just spending that time relaxing a little bit um we got a load of stuff done in that in that session we, we had something that you were quite stressed about yeah. left the office feeling really positive and we got a few we got a real plan in place from that just sort of half an hour um of of just that collaboration through fun and wine and actually the
8: the person that i sent the
3: email to um
8: i'd promised to get it to him by the end of the day sent me a reply while i was in the pub (laughs) which i picked up saying this is amazing thanks so much and then it was just like oh the best moment
1: when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring
2: We gave him the chance to wrap up how the manifesto is working and not working in their team. And by the way, just a sort of point of explanation: Skillshare is their name for a team learning session. Yeah, I think it's
3: you know we're we're on a journey right with um with with culture, and we we all know it's a really tough nut to crack. Um, and it's not going to happen overnight. So I, I guess you know these small changes we can make. I think the best thing we can do is continue talking about it, um, continue to have these 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 forums where we sort of look sort of, what's working, what isn't working. What can we introduce uh, and try and sort of work across group to, to try and make it the best place that you know really excites everyone to come into work, I guess is what I would, I would say. Yeah, I
9: was just going to add one other thing, which is I think um, in you doing that, Tom, and you brought the conversation to a Skillshare, which was a kind of cross-selection of the team went to, um, I think in that conversation and talking about particularly that bit around bringing your whole self to work and what might that look like um, was just an incredibly rare kind of conversation in terms of office Chat that we had where people around the table bought something really properly of themselves, and the quality of that conversation and what was shared in it, I think, left a very powerful sense of what might a very empathetic team look like, and actually how might we understand each other and work differently together, which was incredible actually to be a part of. And I think, you know, the number of people who will say, Uh, refer back to that is quite a, a powerful thing and yeah we should pursue it
2: Right. If you're interested in using the New Work Manifesto, it's all on the website. It's not a copyright. Use it, abuse it, change it, remix it, edit it, do whatever you want to it. Hit me up on LinkedIn or share, you know, contact me or Sue Todd via Twitter. Tell me how you got on. This episode is the last in the series. I'll be back after the summer. I've got a stellar list of academics and people who've just done incredible writing um, and research on work, laughter, philosophy, workplace creativity. I've lined them up already. So, so they'll be back after the summer. If you want to hear those episodes you're probably best subscribing via podcast app appreciate you listening please do get in touch